Shalom, I'm Kohenet Yael Tischler, student rabbi, and thank you for listening to the Progressively Jewish Podcast, an opportunity to explore and connect to Judaism through a progressive lens. Today, in honor of Parashat Emor, we'll be delving into the theme of the sanctification of time. We'll be exploring ritual, one of the main ways that we as Jews sanctify time. Joining me as part of this exploration are Rabbi Naomi Goldman and Nikki Spencer Hutchings. Um, so hi, both of you. It's so great to have you. Um, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Um, I thought I'd start with us introducing ourselves. Maybe we can, maybe we can go around. I'll go first and then um, I'll direct each of you. Um, so I'm Kohenet Yael Tischler. I am a student rabbi at Leo Beck College. Um, and I'm also an ordained Kohenet, which is a Hebrew priestess. Um, and that's a Jewish clergy training program that revives and reclaims the practices and wisdom of Jewish women and femme folk um, from antiquity to the present day. Um, so I'm really enjoying kind of inhabiting um, the role of student rabbi and the role of Kohenet at the same time. Um, let's hear from you, Rabbi Naomi. Hi, so uh, I'm Rabbi Naomi Goldman and I'm the rabbi of Kol High Hatch End Reformed Jewish Community which is a, a reform shul in Northwest London. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, they're lucky to have you. Um, and Nikki, you can tell us about yourself. Hi, Elf. Lovely to be here. Um, so I'm Nikki Spence Hutchins. Um, I am, um, I attend a progressive synagogue in Bristol. Um, I'm, a, I'm a lay leader there. Um, I'm also training as an interfaith minister, um, which is a two year program. Um, which basically is looking at areas such as um, um, ceremony, interfaith, um, interfaith work, sacred activism, uh, spiritual counselling, and it was set up originally by a Orthodox rabbi, and it's very much about connecting, working with that which connects us through ceremony and ritual as well. Thank so you. I'm on a bit of a journey there, and hopefully oh, we'll be ordained this July. Yeah, well, I think we've got a wonderful setup here. At least I feel like we're almost in the middle of a joke. Um, you know, a priestess, a rabbi, an interfaith minister walk into a bar. Um, so, so hopefully we'll, we'll be entertaining as group of three. Um, so I guess I'm going to start really simple because ritual is one of those things where we know it when we see it, but it's really hard to define. Um, so I just wanted to hear from both of you, sort of what does ritual mean to you? Um, and let's start with you, Rabbi Naomi. So I think for me, ritual is something that elevates the everyday and marks a transition. Mm. Um, you, you know, we, I was thinking about it. We, we know that uh, children become adolescents without any ritual, right? They will turn 13 and they will go towards hormone changes and they will grow up whether we do anything about it or not uh, what we do when we have for example bar and bar mitzvah is we just pause we freeze frame the moment we go hey you are amazing this is important this is fantastic we are acknowledging you making that transition mm. i think the same thing is, is true um, at the point of birth at the point of death and bereavement um, any ritual we do. And I, I don't think 
I think that's it, really. Mm. I think ritual can be just words. Mm. I think it can be something embodied. Mm. Uh, it can, you know, be short or long or, or, or anything, but it's, um, mm. you know, giving somebody a blessing is a ritual, short mm. ritual, you know. Mm. But the heart, I think, is what it is. It's, it's stopping and elevating and making sacred, I suppose. Mm. And I love what you said about the freeze frame, that it's almost, it's a way mm. of, of stopping time and just saying, like, here we are, mm. let's pay attention to this. Mm. Um, Nikki, what do, you, what do you think? What is ritual? Well, so ritual is really important to me. And I'm really, I think I'm incredibly lucky to grow up in a tradition where ritual is, is normalised. It's part of marking these life events and the week and the seasons. Um, for me, actually, ritual is, is something that enables us to be witnessed, mm. enables us to stand in community, to internalise what's externalised or externalise what's internalised, um, it's opportunities for healing, opportunities for transformation. And I think any opportunity, they can be small, it can be just a room clearing or mm -hmm. acknowledgement of seeing somebody or something much bigger like a life cycle or a life change. Yeah, I think I just think any opportunities to, to ritualize, to um, notice or pause, as Nani mm -hmm. said, are always something that really supports our transitions. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Naomi, did you have something to chime in on? Yeah, so I loved I loved what you said, Nikki, about um, externalizing what is internal. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying uh, Kaddish from my mum, who died in September, and I am attempting. I don't imagine every day, but I'm tempted to say Kaddish every morning through um, one online community or another, and it is very much about externalizing what is internal, that is exactly what's going on. It's saying, um, I know I look okay and I sound okay mm -hmm. and I'm working and my life is not falling apart and I'm not, mm -hmm. but actually something's broken inside. Mm -hmm. And this is how I'm, I'm marking it. That's really powerful, so powerful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not just about witnessing, but it's also about making that witnessing possible. Um, yeah. about saying you know I feel this thing inside let's make this thing that's inside visible so that other people can witness um, mm -hmm. and that's really really powerful um, so thank you both for that um, and and I'm curious um, sort of how ritual shows up in your work um, let's start with you as, as a rabbi Naomi how does ritual show up in in sort of your leadership role well, it's a bread and butter of my work, really. Mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of doing it all the time. Um, I mean, the most regular ritual activity is on Shabbat, mm. I guess. Um, and I mean, the whole Shabbat morning service is very heavily ritualized, mm. and particularly with the Torah service. And we get out the Torah scrolls. Oh, I'm not doing that at the moment, but um, we're reading the Torah. And even online, I'm still calling people up mm. for Aliyot. And that's our opportunity to mark people's life stages. Mm. So almost every week, I'm giving somebody a blessing because it's their birthday or their wedding anniversary or they've just had a baby or something. Mm. Um, or it's the anniversary of their loved one's death, very often their parents' death. Mm. So that's a really common reason. And, and it's um, a ritual way of marking the occasion. Mm. So that's 
all the time. And then um, it, it's both linear and it's circular. So it's, it's linear, so we're doing baby blessings, we're doing B'nai Mitzvah to celebrate transition to adolescence, um, weddings, obviously, and funerals and uh, shivers, shiver prayers, and stone settings, marking the, the anniversary um, afterwards. And linear, uh, so that's linear, it's life stages, mm. and circular, the, the rotation of the seasons you know all the, the, the festivals of the year it's huge it's huge and very powerful and it brings people together as a community as well as elevating the individual yeah. i love that and what you what you've pointed to so well is that we're gifted with this tradition that provides frameworks for us to sort of very easily um sort of mark things with people and say okay well we have this you can mm -hmm. come for an aliyah um, or this is our wedding ceremony, we have this sort of wealth um, of ritual toolkits, um, of resources at our fingertips to really make sure that we are catching and noticing these moments that need witnessing. Um, so that's really powerful, that that gets to be your bread and butter, that gets to be um, your work. Um, and I'm curious from you, Nikki, as someone who is kind of working in an interfaith framework, um, kind of doing things that are a little bit different, how, how ritual shows up for you in your work? So it's really interesting as part of the training, maybe it's the same doing the rabbinic training, is that, you know, we're trained to do all the same life cycles. Um, but often the communities I'm part of, or the um, both from an interspiritual interfaith way, or in, a Jewish, in the Jewish circles, often working with people where, where the rituals somehow, the ceremonies somehow haven't quite sort of spoken to them. Mm. There's something that's, there's, often I feel there's sort of like, there's some weightiness or some trauma or something that's meant that some of those um, experiences, that, experiences that are really supposed to help you stand up and be witnessed and stand in your truth and, you know, have got something clunky about them. There's something mm. about them that doesn't quite, um, you know, doesn't quite speak to them. And so what I've really discovered whilst I've been working my way through my training is um, rituals to cleanse the rituals. Mm. So something around clearing, acknowledging that which doesn't serve us mm. so that we can then enter into whether it's a wedding ceremony or whether it's a rites of passage mm. to acknowledge what hasn't worked for you or as an institution doesn't work for you, or the, or the pain um, historically, ancestrally, that may be linked to that. And so I've been playing with that. And for myself, when I write my own, we have to write our own funerals and our own um, mm. weddings. And but I've had that kind of work has really supported me to be able to really fill into how do you create ceremony and rituals that are that are authentic to the person it's for mm, mm. so so that's kind of what I'd be sort of cleansing and healing the ceremonies that we are or the rituals that we are so used to and we we have this sort of love hate with often yeah yeah so I'm playing with that as a concept yeah that. <laughs> well in some ways you're the other side of the coin of acknowledging that actually sort of sometimes these frameworks and structures don't work for people um so how do you kind of give people a blank slate um how do you sort of really encounter the person um and build something that will work for them um given all that we've inherited and sometimes it really lands well and sometimes it doesn't yeah. um yeah. and in in a way that kind of 
um, really resonates with me as a Kohenet slash student rabbi, um, because a lot of the Kohenet program is about sort of looking at what we've inherited, but also saying, well, there's things that are missing, or there's things that don't quite fit every type of person, and how do we actually meet them where we are, um, and where they are, um, to kind of create something new. Um, Naomi, go ahead. And sometimes people don't realize um, how little there is that you have to do. Mm. So a, a, a lot of what I'm doing is um, saying to people, you know, the only thing that makes a Jewish wedding a wedding actually is an exchange of something valuable, which doesn't have to be a ring, um, and the signing of a contract. Like, apart from that, you can do what you want. Mm. Um, so so it, it's, and also the funeral, um, often people just want, because they're in trauma and they're in shock, mm. they just want whatever people normally do. Like, what's in the book? Just read the book. But actually, you can do whatever you want mm. at a funeral, actually. There is no format, really, for a Jewish funeral. People have put, rabbis have put stuff in a book to make it easier for people, so you don't have to start from a blank page. But um, the blank page, the almost blank page is there. So a lot of what I'm doing is, is giving permission, really. Mm. Um, and maybe also taking things back to their bare bones. Mm. So that there, there's, there's, there's often something at the core that makes something a Jewish ceremony rather than a Christian ceremony or Muslim or Buddhist ceremony. But um, it's often a very, very small core. And the rest is up to the individual. And I think probably before the advent of the printing press mm -hmm. was very much up to the individual mm -hmm. and was much more free-flowing and much more um, individualized. And the, I mean, there's great wonders of the printing press, obviously, but uh, the downside is that there were books that were uniform and got passed around and became like the manual that you have to follow. Mm -hmm. You're like on Passover, we read the Haggadah. Well, you're not supposed to, it, it, you're supposed to tell the story. Okay, it's not the same thing as reading a book from page one to page mm. 120. Um, yeah. The other thing, I know you, you mentioned um, about things that are not mm -hmm. commemorated, that are not marked traditionally in the liturgy. And um, I'm very aware of, of things that are not in there. I would love to develop a Jewish menopause ceremony. Mm. I was talking to... Um, there's a, there's a group of people who are planning to uh, create a progressive mikvah in North London at some point. Um, I was talking to somebody about it this morning and there are all sorts of rituals, particularly for women, that are just not there in the tradition. So, it's that. Yeah, and I love your sensitivity to that, to the fact that there is sort of the printing press and sort of the replication of these rituals and ceremonies can be really helpful. They're like a, a parachute to catch you, um, but also they, they might trick us into thinking that we don't have this power to innovate. And actually there's all this space um, and particularly around sort of ceremonies for women and femme folk. Um, definitely we need something around menopause. Um, Kohenet Rachel, my colleague, was telling me about a menopause seder, which sounds like the most awesome thing, like yeah. making that mainstream. <laughs> um, so really, really, that would be fabulous to have and to inquire about. 
Um, Nikki, did you have something you wanted yeah, to sorry. add? In? Just, just um, listening to you, Naomi, what you're saying, thinking about you know that permission, that permission to be innovative. Um, and I think there's, you know, for me, there's always, especially working um, in a much less defined area, that something about honouring the answer where you've come from, having something rooted in something that is has a lineage about it, whilst being able to stand in your own sort of spiritual authority, whoever you are, and be intuitive and really listen and sort of reclaim some of that. So there's a little bit of a tension there to try and enable people to have both that, you know, to feel rooted if if they are do feel rooted if that works for them but also to you know to hear that voice to to hear the voices that our ancestors heard when they created the incredible ceremonies that we have today to reconnect to reclaim that and see what creates and so it is you know is a little bit of being and honoring the books but also knowing the books aren't everything and our inherent we inherently um spiritual you know sort of ritual can be very intuitive if we can engage all of our senses and all of ourselves and have permission it's lovely to hear Naomi you sort of explaining bare bones the bare bones of ritual is actually of ceremonies there isn't much bare bones and we've got a lot to play with and work with that's that warms the cockles of my heart that does <laughs> and in some ways that can be our role as as clergy and clergy and training is helping people to navigate sort of that which we've received but to also kind of tap into that intuition to tap into what's truly needed um, and, and trust ourselves um, around the rituals that we want to create that we need. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious with, with all this talk of, of ritual and different types of ritual, if there are any particular rituals that you've been a part of as either a facilitator or a participant that really moved you or felt like they had an impact on you. Um, let's start with you, Naomi. They're all moving. There's something about being part of someone's life transition that is incredibly moving. Um, and I did a baby blessing a few years ago um, for a family where the mother had uh, lost her brother very young. So they'd been a really that like, young. So there'd been a real deep, deep bereavement in that family. And uh, the mother uh, had also um, had a really scary birth in which, you know, she, they, were, they were worried they might lose her. And she comes through it and she was fine. And the baby was well and beautiful and very charming. And there was such joy in that room. And everyone in the synagogue had been there when her brother had died and was so with them. And that same week, there had been a couple of deaths in the community and the families had also rocked up because I invite them to turn up to shul the first um, Shabbat after the funeral because we read out their loved one's names before Kaddish. And there's all that, there's this palpable sense of not just joy, but of renewal and redemption in the room. And there are these families that have come there as well, and we could hold it all. We could hold it all because we have a slightly, because of the slightly ritualized framework of the whole Shabbat morning. It was pre-pandemic, so we, you know, Torah's scrolls are being processed around the room. You know, we have the whole thing going on. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes you can. It's always real, 
but sometimes it's really, really real. Sometimes you get a sense that everyone is um, going through this moment of joy and renewal together. It's fabulous. Mm. Yeah, mm. And, and sometimes it's just that moment itself, those people, everything they've gone through that makes the ritual so powerful. And all the ritual really has to do is just make space for that to be mm. acknowledged and noticed and real. Mm. And, and that's just so incredible. How about you, Nikki? Oh, there's so many things flying around my head of um, I've been part of and um, and I've written or I've, I've facilitated a couple that to really spring into mind. Um, I, it's, in fact, it's the only person that I trained, um, did the um, bat mitzvah support for. Um, a young woman in my community who is um, nonverbal and um, I mean, she's an incredible young woman, nonverbal, cerebral palsy. And, um, and just, I think when I'm thinking about her, her um, bat mitzvah where she alongside me took the whole of the service, um, she decided on the whole of the service. There was a lot of quietness that was needed for me, a lot of silence to really notice. I, I'm, I'm big on, I'm really, it's really important to me that um, any form of ritual represents the person that's doing it. And of course, I didn't know whether this young woman would was had um, orthodox tendencies or radical tendencies or what, or you know, wanted to have more sort of um, more progressive. I wanted to know what tune she liked. So I was able to just. I really wanted it to be that I could get a sense from her facial expressions what she liked. And it, so it was this incredible co-creation between myself and her and her wonderful mother and of creating this mitzvah. And she was able to be at the front whole of that service. Um, so that to me felt really, um, that, that was wonderful. And, and other, when I'm thinking about other services that I've taken where I, I, I drop the book and I bring in sort of, I remember doing a, a mandala for, I think it was for Sukkot and had um, people being silent and creating a mandala out of, um, I don't know, things that people have collected and from, from nature or see, and just having that much more sensory experience, that's more, much more felt in experience that, um, and seeing what happens when we're a little bit more quiet mm -hmm. and a little bit less direction. So those, so that's, examples within a Jewish context um, and I suppose the other what I'm really interested in is I work with um, with children young people experience trauma and in the care system adopted so um, I'm creating ceremonies for young people to be witnessed as they move into foster care or mm. I've got two adopted children so there so it's just about having opportunities where young people's voices are heard mm. through ritual and ceremony yeah. And so, so that's something that I'm sort of, I, I write and one day I will be able to perform in real life with people that want, but at the moment I'm just part of my training is to sort of create and think about areas where, for me, where there's gaps, where we need to honour life stages that aren't honoured, a bit like. So I could actually answer that question for a long time. I hope I haven't taken up too much time. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's so rich. It's so rich. And like, what I love about sort of what's coming out here is this thing around witnessing, around listening, around kind of noticing that it's really the moments themselves or the people themselves that make this special um, and everything kind of can emerge from there. Yeah. Um, and, and I was thinking, you know, is, is there a story that I can tell um, about a ritual that I've been a part of? And I was thinking about this 
a moment on a retreat that I was running with my colleague, Kohenet Rachel, which was all about Purim and some kind of things that are hidden and not hidden um, because Esther is hiding her identity. And we did this ritual that I think both of us didn't really think about very much. Um, we were just like, well, people can hide themselves under a veil and then look in a mirror and then they'll have to look themselves in the face and like they'll be singing. And, and sort of the, uh, the invitation was to really unveil yourself and see what's there. And we sort of, we didn't necessarily know if anything would come of it. Um, but because everyone was getting that opportunity to just go and spend some time with themselves and sort of do that action um, of re removing a layer right, that enabled people to really connect with sort of all the places um, where they felt in their lives that they were hiding and all the ways in which they could be seen and they could invite that seeing and sort of provide that own witnessing to themselves. Um, and, and that's all about the people. That's less about the, the activity. That's just enabling people to really see and, and be witnessed. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, I do have to say whether it's that you are do you are particularly skillful at rituals. Um, you know, as part of what we've been doing on Zoom, as part of the Yellow community, they have been extraordinary, and and the High Holy Days, all those things have just been amazing. You are very very skillful. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I, I can say that. Because <laughs> I'm not schmoozing you. I'm being hundred percent authentic. So I can imagine that you've been. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I didn't volunteer to host the, the podcast to get praise, but it's certainly really nice. <laughs> um, and I guess we've sort of begun to touch on this, but I thought this would be a really um, good last thing to explore together, which would be kind of where are we really succeeding with Jewish ritual? What is, what is really working? Um, and where are the gaps? Sort of, we, we mentioned sort of, Naomi, you brought up menopause and sort of women's, women's life cycle. What is working? What do we do really well? And, and what do we need that isn't there? Um, Naomi, why don't you um, dive in? What do we do really, really well currently is progressive Jews. Um, we do death really, really well. And um, I think it's been, it's been a real loss this year, not having in-person shivers and that whole that terrible period last March where people couldn't attend funerals. Mm. Um, I think we do death really well. I think we do on the whole, we do um, B'nai Mitzvah really, really well. And yeah, we've been doing this a long time, you know, weddings, uh, baby blessings, we're doing them. I think we do them very well. Um, I think um, we're still being innovative with them. I think there's always room there's always scope for more creativity. Uh, we're doing them well, I think. And um, scope for more innovation, well, definitely around women's life cycles. Um, and yeah, you know, I just, um, I'm encouraging people in my community to, uh, to celebrate like everything mm. with us. So retirement and change to jobs and, um, at, I think um, there's sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect that people don't necessarily think, well, I'm going to do this, so why don't I go and get a blessing for my community? You know, why don't I elevate this by doing something on Shabbat morning? Um, yeah, I guess I'd like it to be no mm. secular religious divide. Mm. I'd like it to all be one sacred swoop um, <laughs> where, where you do something and of course, of course you bless it. Like, why wouldn't you, you know? Um, 
because we go through things every day. I think we probably don't do enough to honour um, people who don't get married or don't get partnered um, and don't have children, actually. I think our tradition has developed in a very family orientated way. Mm. And we need to be, which is very kind of easy, it's very easy for communities to do that family thing. And I think we need to be really attentive to people who, for whatever reason, don't have children or don't have partners and, but who nevertheless have sacred lives mm. and transitions and moments that need to be honored um, and need the same opportunity for blessing and, and witnessing as everybody else. Yeah. So I think that's an issue. Amen to that. Um, just really thinking through um, all the people who don't have rituals because they aren't sort of, they aren't following this linear line that we've been set, that we've inherited. Um, and there really mm -hmm. should be space for that. Um, Nikki, what do you think? So I think that um, we do rituals very well. I think we do rituals very well because they happen whether we want, almost like whether we want them to happen or not, which I think is really important that, um, you know, if you don't quite feel like having, you know, I don't know, have Shabbat or having your um, bat mitzvah or something, there's kind of an encouragement to step up and to be, even if, you know, there's sort of like you've got a community support around you um, as you transition through these life stages. What I, what I think there's sort of various gaps in is that um, I think there's too many words. I think we're not very good at um, being embodied or being sensory or being able to enable to be inclusive actually there's a lot of learning going on so I think people where learning isn't there isn't the way they access the word academic learning or wordy learning that we're, we're not creative enough to find to be able to have much more sensual visceral messy even rituals that could mark some of these life stages or um, experiences and I think the other thing I think also that we could get better at is having rituals around things that are not successful, mm. rituals around vulnerabilities, rituals around trauma, sitting with people in difficult situations, mm. rather than celebrating things that always that, you know, have passed or we've, we've succeeded in. There's something about that, which I think there's a lot of healing in rituals. So I, yeah, so that's, that's the part of, I think we, we are, in, in, on my training people are always saying oh you're so lucky to be part of this faith path that has so many rituals and so many beautiful ways of marking the week and the seasons and we do and I think we can step into a more of a space of vulnerability and a space of um yeah when things are not okay mm, mm. and have ceremony and rituals around that mm. I mean that's yeah what what a beautiful observation that we can, we can almost, we can normalize things not being okay. And we can really support each other when we give thought and time and energy and effort into sort of thinking ritually about those things. Um, and I love also the invitation into the embodied um, because we are so embodied as a people. I think we can get stuck in our brains and that book learning is so beautiful and so awesome. Um, and also like we are the people of the Havdalah service, like the fire and the smells and the drinking. Yeah. And we're the people of the Seder, like all these symbolic foods and acts. 
um, you know, and weddings really embodied with all the circling and the smashing. Um, so there's definitely such scope there to remind us that actually we can be more in our bodies and that there's Torah there mm -hmm. too. There's, there's wisdom there too. Um, so it's just, it's so beautiful to hear. And I, I think sort of from both of you um, and from myself as well, there's this invitation to really be listening in to sort of any moment, any moment that night might need a ritual. Um, there was a ritual for that I made for a friend and colleague um, who was giving a bone marrow den donation oh, and wow. wanted some some liturgy for that and wanted a way to market like anything can have a ritual. Um, if we listen in, if we look at the tools that we have um, as a tradition, but also our own intuition and our own creativity. Um, so thank you both so much. This was such an incredible conversation and I just feel so privileged to have been recording with both of you. This brings us to the end of this podcast and I just really wanted to thank you, our guests, Nikki Spencer Hutchings and Rabbi Naomi Goldman, and also send out a thank you to Liberal Judaism, Reform Judaism and Leo Beck College for supporting Progressively Jewish. We hope that you'll recommend us to your friends and fellow congregants, those who are Jewish and people of all faiths and none. Don't forget to share this episode of Progressively Jewish with your friends and colleagues and to leave us a review with your podcast provider. To share your ideas on the future of this podcast, either comment on the Progressively Jewish Facebook page or email us at progressivelyjewish at gmail.com. Next week's episode will be hosted by my colleague, Rabbi Tanya Sachnovich, where she will be talking about freedom and prosperity. Have a wonderful day, everyone.